This is For Advisors by Advisors. I'm your host, Evan J. Mayer. And today we have a very special guest and Mr. Steve Voss. They're going wild for you, Steve. I love it. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing? Excellent. Steve is the Vice President of Business Consulting at Raymond James Financial Services. You're only on the RJFS side, is that right? Correct. Only the RJFS side. Got it. The independent contractor side or many different names, right? Got a couple of those. Yeah. Yeah. Steve's been with RJ since 2015. He's basically been in the same role the whole time, which is kind of neat because the longer you've been in a role, the more experience you have in it. I met Steve because I was going independent and he was part of, I guess, the package suite of information that we could dive into. And Steve kind of helped me out with my situation and it was kind of simple. So there wasn't much needed to be done other than explain to my accountants how to, how to line item independent contractor 1099 income into your business. But uh, give us a little backstory to you. How'd you get started? And obviously accounting, you're not necessarily new to our business because you've been in it since 2015, but never were on the advisor side. Give us a little background on you. Yeah. So yeah, I went to Florida State undergrad. Went to I got my master's there in accounting. I had this idea that I wanted to go into public accounting, be a CPA, eventually run a business. And um, so I took my first step, which was to go into big four accounting. So I started at ENY and, uh, and started my career there in Tampa, Florida, and got about a year into it through two busy seasons and realized this was not my cup of tea. And once I got my CPA license, realizing that this wasn't the what it was cut out to be. And so I decided to make a move. I went to a smaller IT company, kind of got a taste of small business, what it was like, cut my teeth there. And then I ran across an entrepreneur that was running a business and where it was in manufacturing. And so I think that is really where everything started for me to really understand true business ownership. I had some skin in the game. Uh, there was obviously from, we imported products from overseas. And so we had about 2000 products. And so from manufacturing to OEM development to the accounting, customer service, shipping, warehousing, everything that came into it, setting up your IT, the servers, all the things that now I'm able to translate into today, I learned a lot there. So once I realized that we weren't going to be selling the business, I had, and we can get into this later, good old phantom stock in the business that didn't pan out the way it should have. So I learned a lot of valuable lessons younger in life, but cut my teeth and really got a good experience and then came across the role at Raymond James, which was obviously like any job description, pretty vague, but you know, I, I felt like it was a good fit. People that I met, I liked, it seemed like it was a good company, a good spot for me. And so that kind of is really where it all blossomed from there is where we really focused on tailoring for independents like you that were moving independent channel and what it's like to be a business owner and what things you have to think about. And it, was a role that we had created a couple of years before I started at the firm. So it had been around conceptually, but I think that as the years went on, it really grew. And now we are at a point where we have a much larger team and we service a lot more advisors. And so these types of interactions with you and working from you when you joined Raymond James to now being established in a much larger firm, it's cool to see that in the relationships we've been able to develop over the years. So that's how I got to Raymond James. And I have been kind of in the same capacity. We've worked with other departments and I've helped in other areas, but I would say my the core of everything that I've been able to deliver value for our advisors has been within business consulting. Excellent. Excellent. So 
Uh, Steve, talk a little bit about big issues that face advisors when they're getting set up. I mean, mine was a very simple situation. Open it up as an LC, file subchapter S. You know, that was probably the easy individual advisor kind of coming aboard. Talk a little bit about like the different degrees of advisors coming over and some of the complex strategies that you've had to help them develop. Yes, I think that it's gotten so much more complex now. When I first started, it was pretty simple. It was solo advisor, maybe have an assistant with them. The structure of the ownership is pretty straightforward. Now we're seeing a lot more teams come together. And so where we really start to focus in on is team formations and how is it going to come together here on the Raymond James platform. So I think that we are working with much larger, more individuals as a team. And so our ability to deliver value is really in that upfront startup services. What questions to be asking? What should you be thinking about? And obviously real estate, health insurance, and so there's some major topics. And we typically focus on like the three main largest expenses in any independent practice, right? Wages, rent, and insurance. And so those topics are always coming up when we deal with our advisors. And so we try to tackle those up front so that we can help at least ease the anxiety of going independent, understanding what those top three expenses are going to be. And what's like the, I guess, like when you get a partnership, let's just say three different advisors coming together, maybe they were partners prior, maybe they weren't, and they come aboard and they open up an independent office, is normally the best setup is some sort of partnership where each one receives 1099 straight through Raymond James for their portion and kind of do that through the backdoor channel? Or does it make more sense for the business to get funneled? And I know it's different for everybody. I know that's probably going to be the answer, but like, what's the easiest way to set it up? I mean, the easiest way to set it up is to not get too creative. I see too many people trying to get creative on their establishment and having multiple entities. And I do think there's a time and place when you do have a parent company overarching with our individual practices, where you have a yours, mine, and ours approach. But we are seeing much more teams today coming to Raymond James that are holistic team, right? And so they don't have individualized books. So in the perfect world, the most easiest way to put things together is everyone has their own book, everyone has their own clients, and they get paid for that, right? And that's simple. What we're now seeing is obviously the collective group that are coming together, um, combining their practices, creating some synergies among each other and leveraging the strengths of each team on their partners of the team. So I I think where we see things being uh, from a setup standpoint is the parent company and having separate entities in which they're able to pass through their own individual client expenses or possible things that they want to do from a tax advantage standpoint. But structurally, uh, the parent company concept has become very popular for our teams that have come over. So is that where like Ray J pays the revenue to those individuals, obviously, but through the parent yes. company? Because you got to, for those that are not independent, you're an independent contractor. So you got to be paid individually because you're licensed individually, right? Correct. So the money goes into that. And then the expenses of payroll and whatever get come out of that. And then from that point, there's other entities where they'll have flow throughs of personal, we won't call them personal expenses, but business expenses that they're writing off personally, deciding what they want to write off individually. Is that a fair structure? Yeah, sure. That's version A. And then version B would be if we paid individual contractors uh, or advisors directly sweeping into their own LC, most are S-corp, taxes S-corps, and then 
making payments for those fixed expenses to the parent company in which there they'll have all their group benefits set up and you have some shared resources, I would say that you are able to participate in and then also take benefit with. So I, it's much more common of a structure that we would see. So you really have two ways to slice it. And that's why I say is for those that get too creative, you just go down a road in which you don't really want to, to go down. It's extra paperwork. It's extra. It's not necessary. It's not saving you any money on taxes. It's just whatever. more complicated, more money for the attorneys, more money for the attorneys. And one of the things you spoke about, obviously, is payroll and insurance and things along those lines. Obviously, companies like Inspirity and Trinet and some of these other companies that are out there are hugely beneficial on the concept of pooling insurance and so on. When do you normally suggest people look that route? I mean, I was coming over at the time with just one assistant which made sense for us to actually go that route because it covered her insurance, my insurance. We had 401k set up through it. It kind of made payroll just a lot easier. Was it more expensive? Probably, but it was one less hurdle I had to overcome as I was going independent. When do you normally suggest using those services? Anytime we come across a breakaway advisor uh, that's coming from a wirehouse is going to probably be the best solution. If they need to have health insurance, they need to have their HR and other things outsourced. I mean, we hear this a lot, right? Our advisors, they want to focus on their clients and that's the, where they should be focused on. Yes, we're business owners. Yes, you know, there's things that we have to tackle, but our time should not be spent dealing with HR related things and staying compliant with state laws. And so those times you outsource that stuff so that you're able to focus on what's going to bring revenue to the business. So Insperity is a great solution. We've had a great partnership with them for over five years now. And you know they are a one-stop shop that really checks that box and a very unique relationship where you could be an individual solo advisor, LLC, one person member, and still have access to these type of benefits. So great opportunity and great program that we have and something that we certainly share with those that it fits when it applies. Yeah, no, I, I like I said, I've... It's been a great partnership for me. It's one less thing I got to worry about and literally increasing, giving somebody a raise or a bonus or something. It's a very easy process to do that when you have a good payroll company behind you. Let's dive into partnerships afterward. We actually, me and you had a conversation about this. I have a, a junior advisor that was asking about down the road, partnership abilities and getting into the business. And one of your questions came to me and your question was very simple. What is he buying? What is he truly buying? And is he going to buy cash flow? Is he buying clients? Like at the end of the day, when these partnerships come together after, how does that work? As far as crafting that together, is it normally cash flow people are buying into? Is it normally the book? I'm guessing more than not, they're buying a portion of the book of business would be my thought if they're buying into the practice. So talk a little bit about that area. Yeah, it's a great question and something that, you know, I think a lot of us all struggle with is the succession, the partnership, and what are you buying? And so you hear the word equity thrown out a lot, and I sometimes struggle with what is truly equity. We, from an advisor standpoint, the relationships, and when you go to sell your book of business on the independent platform, right, everyone talks about the benefits of capital gain treatment, right? And because you're selling an asset sales structured as a large portion of it's attributed to goodwill, right? And that gives you that long-term capital gain treatment. So you are selling those personal relationships. How is that structured? It depends. And it depends on 
what are the partnership goals? And so we've seen practices that literally come together in, in a holistic manner where everything's all together. And then we say, okay, you bring in a million dollars of revenue. I've got 2 million. And so we split up and figure out how we're going to split up expenses. And, and that's our equal ownership based off of what we bring to the table. And then it's adjusted every year which is a lot of work, right? You're Then you're updating operating agreements and everything else you have in your business. So we've also seen scenarios where partners come together. They still maintain the ownership of their books, but might have other junior advisors where they carve out tranches of their business and allow them to grow that and have ownership and have stake in the game too as well. It's a mixed bag. We see a lot of different things that are starting to evolve over the last few years as far as ownership and how they're granting that to junior advisors. But I think that's probably been one of the hottest topics that I've come across today is just trying to figure out, and everyone has a different situation and everyone has a different timeline. And so it is very tailored in a conversation when working with advisors because there's no cookie cutter approach. It is very much to what are your goals? What's your timeline? And then what are you willing to give up? And what are you trying to achieve long-term? Yeah, I, I would guess, uh, have you been involved in situations where there were these partnerships, they were already at Ray J, and now there was some sort of a breakup. Breakups happen in this business, right? Definitely on the bank side and wirehouse side, breakups happen all the time. I guess the question is now that there's an actual business involved, have you been involved in a lot of those breakups and what normally transpires during those breakups? A lot of heartaches. <laughs> I mean, a lot of finger pointing and just a big mess, especially when you have, I think, a partnership where you start getting creative with shares of stock and how it's structured and it can get really messy. And so I think like anything else in business is having written agreements. And that's where I like that parent company concept that we had just talked about is when you do have shared liability with other people, you think differently. And so you want to avoid situations where it turns south and it starts to ruin those relationships that you've developed over the years. And you want, if there is going to be a breakup, you want to understand exactly who owns what and how is this going to unfold. So if you have a handshake agreement or understanding of your partnership, I would highly suggest that you get something in writing so that if there is an event that happens in the future, because people can change, situations can change, you just have something that protects everybody and it's fair. Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. Let's talk about, we talked a little bit about this and my theory on, on the private equity boom or the cash flow from non-advisors that are coming into the business to buy advisors, books of business. There's been a lot of that transpiring, not just to Ray J everywhere, basically, that these private equity companies are coming in. Obviously, I mean, you were talking, they want to get paid at some point, like when that starts, and my theory has always been, I don't know how at a time of actual a cash end date of a sale of a business or going public or selling that your stake, how FINRA is okay with that, with the independent contractor model and how that actually works. Do you have any thoughts on that, the private equity money coming in? Should you take it? Should you not? And what the long-term negatives and successes are to that? Yeah, I, great question. Loaded question and could go a lot of different ways. I think that what's most important is that whatever you're doing or whatever you're starting to explore is that you're working with your divisional management team to make sure that everyone's on the same page and they understand what's happening. And of course, 
I would imagine that if you were to tell Finner, hey, we're going to have a non-licensed individual investing in our business, they're probably going to balk at that, right? And they're going to say, that's not what we want to see. So I think that's a really interesting space that is starting to happen. And I think the REA space is a lot different than an independent contractor division. So we have to be mindful of the things that the regulators are expecting us to adhere to. But I have a lot of opinions on that, but I do believe that it's a space in which you need to make sure that whatever you're doing, that you're in the right space with being protected and also following the rules of not only the policies of the firm, but also of what FINRA's expectations are. Yeah. And I think you bring up a very key point, which is if you're an RIA and you're not dealing with FINRA, it's through the SEC, you know, that can be a lot cleaner of a situation, but definitely something in the independent contractor channel to think about regarding going forward, because there are a lot of advisors that are aging. And part of the concept of going independent is they want to sell a portion of their practice. Is it your advice that for those advisors that are going independent, that are on the older side, that are looking to sell, unless they're selling to somebody that's currently a financial advisor and internal with their team, it's probably best to make that move prior to starting to consider selling your book? Yeah, I think so. I think that obviously having a succession plan internally is the easiest and most successful route. I do think it gets complicated when you were to entertain offers from outside and there's just a lot of other factors that come into play that might not necessarily guarantee the full intended value of what you want out of the business. So I, we see a lot of successful internal succession plans that get kicked off and not necessarily have to be within your branch, but it could be someone that is in the neighboring town or another advisor that's underneath the same broker dealer that would make sense and that you all have the same values and have the same client experience. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things that our advisors are looking for is the synergies that they can align with another advisor that they all see things from the same lens. And when you combine that together, you will have a successful handoff with your clients and it seems more natural. Give us an idea of some trigger things, some things you're thinking about. So I'm guessing is a majority of your business now more new people moving to the independent side or people that are already with Ray J and looking to change? I would think most of your business, 80, 90% probably comes from bringing in new advisors. Is that fair? That's a fair assumption. Yeah. And of that assumption of those advisors coming in, is there certain trigger words or trigger practice things that you're paying attention to so that when you're giving them advice, you're going, oh, I think I want to take them down this road based upon those answers. I think it takes me about five minutes in a conversation with a new team to get a gauge on how comfortable they are going independent, right? And you'll know how much work is going to be demanded up front for a team. Over the years, as our team has grown, we have other dedicated business consultants. So I don't see every single team, but back in 2015, I was working with everyone that was joining Raymond James. So there was a lot of exposure there, but I think that for where we're moving as an industry and where we're going, they, I would say that going independent is a big jump. And I've been able to talk to advisors and explain to them that you have to understand the different elements that it takes to go independent. And you're not going to be comfortable with everything, but understand who you're going to partner with when you do go independent, that they have the resources and they have the capability of getting you to that point, right? No one's going to take you 
handhold you all the way to the finish line, one person. They're not. You need a whole team. And so that's, I think, is very important when you're going independent is that you have a strong team behind you that is able to support you and help answer those questions as you come against these obstacles of going independent. And let's just say you weren't in the role you were in, okay? So we're going to give you an off the answer, a non-politically correct answer of a team that's going independent. What would be the best advice you would give that team? Go independent, do your homework, tackle the big things first, the things that are going to take the longest, right? Real estate. Everyone says, what should I focus on first? It's real estate. Get that done. That takes time. Everything else will fall into place, but you know how you want this transition to fold and who you're going to take with you. And like most advisors have an idea of what this is going to look like, but there's some other unknowns. And I think the real estate part is a big piece where you don't, there might be a specific geographic location that you want. And so, and then you have multiple partners, you have multiple opinions. And so the execution of a lease and everything does take time. So, and I think also just hire experts, do have the right people on your team, but don't try to do everything yourself. And I think that's really the biggest piece of advice is this is not a one person show. Uh, and so this, you have to take it and divide and conquer, right? If you have a team of people, delegate and make this easier on yourself and not to where one person is tackling everything. So real estate first, the business structure, maybe second, and then third, all the little stuff that you have to get together, obviously payroll, things along those lines. I will piggyback on what you said about real estate. That's the thing that definitely takes the most time because not only can you got to find somewhere you like, but then you realize they're going to send you a contract, which you don't know what's 99% of what's in that contract, unless you're doing that for a living. And so once your lawyer wants to redact certain things and send it back, there's a whole process. And then not only is the negotiation take time, but reviewing the paperwork and getting everything in good order and then getting the real estate built out the way you want it. I mean, in a perfect world, people would give themselves at least six months to a year to negotiate that and find the right location. Would you agree? I would agree. I mean, in the perfect world, you'd walk into a space that's beautiful, fresh paint, got the furniture, everything's all done. But that's not always the case. And sometimes there's some tenant improvements that need to happen. And back during COVID, it was a tough time because people didn't really know what the future looked like. Uh, there weren't a lot of contractors that were working. I mean, it was just a different time. And so it, it did take longer to get things done. So and still to this day, it's real estate is at a point where it, it's not as widely from a space availability. And I think there's still some competition out there. And so it just takes longer than what the people would expect. And so that is definitely one thing that we want people to tackle right up front, right away. No, it makes sense for sure. I think we made the move in about 45 to 50 days and trying to get mm -hmm. the, just the contract done in time and get moved in time. I mean, I probably, unfortunately, had to move quicker than I didn't give myself the time I needed to negotiate that the best I could. But at the end of the day, that does take the most time. So Steve, any last piece of advice that you would give advisors out there, either the ones that are already independent or considering going independent that you think you wish you would be giving to every advisor out there and they'd listen to you on it? I think just keep it simple. The more you complicate it, the more agreements and things that you're going to have. So I guess it's the KISS rule, right? And so if you can keep it simple, that by far will, will make your life a lot easier. I think it's really exciting when you go independent, right? You own your own business. There's a, 
I think that's the best part about this job, right? Like, there's no bad conversations. I'm working with people that are all excited to start their own business or have their own business and are looking to grow or add advisors or add staff. Like those are all great, fun conversations. And so um, I'm in a really unique spot. It's a lot of fun. And I think that you got to also remember to have fun too while you're going independent, right? And I know it's hard to see through that, but if you keep it simple, and not overcomplicate things so like the comp structure and other things. Of course, you can reward your employees and do things, but the more complicated to get, the more oversight and more involvement you're going to have. So that's my best piece of advice. Yeah, I think it's good advice. And I, I think to this day, there are still times I'm leaving my office that day and I'm locking up and I'm going, this is mine. You still have that years after in the business and you're happy you made that jump. And I do think hiring the right people. So some of the things I took away from this podcast, hire the experts in the areas that are going to get you further. Don't overthink it. Make things easy and don't overcomplicate anything. I mean, it's literally, that's the advice out there. So Steve, thanks again. If anybody does want to get a hold of you or wants to ping you, where can they get a hold of you? I think you reach out to me directly. Steve.voss at RaymondJames.com is my email. So uh, best way to get a hold of me is through there and or reach out to me via LinkedIn. And there's some great content that we're starting to deliver and starting to, to um, put out in publications. So there'll be a lot more things that we're coming out with too in the future that are going to be exciting. So more in store. So definitely connect. I'd love to connect to people. Excellent. All right, advisors, hopefully you enjoyed today's show. Like it, join us. Always like the feedback from you and hopefully you found today valuable and we'll see you on the next one. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me, Evan. 